The Wildcat men all but wrap up a number one seed. The Wildcat women put their hosting in jeopardy. My daughter takes in her first real Wildcat game. Plus Coach K overload. This and a whole lot more on the Wildcat Sports Report Podcast. what I like to call a potpourri edition of the Wildcat Sports Report podcast. We're going to talk a little men's hoops, women's hoops, uh, even a little tiny bit of football, and then we'll get into some uh, Coach K fatigue. Uh, let's start with the men's team. They pulled out the win last night over Stanford. It was uh, not their best performance. They look like a team that, frankly, has played a lot of games in the last eight days. I think it's four games in eight days. Uh, they start slowly. Uh, have a lot of trouble with Stanford's screen game, have a lot of trouble on the boards. Uh, but in the end, they do what they do. They go on a run, they pull away late, and they get a, a you know a pretty decent 11-point win over the Cardinal. The win is significant for a few things. One, they even though they played poorly, they still found a way to beat what's well, not an awful uh, Stanford team. Not a great Stanford team, but not an awful Stanford team. Uh, they also have all but wrapped up that number one seed in the NCAA tournament. They will play uh, Cal this weekend. Cal is is not as uh, good as Stanford. Cal, frankly, not a very good basketball team. Now, we'll give this. Cal played awful uh, the other night, uh, so Arizona will probably get their best game. Uh, but should Arizona beat Cal, uh, then they will, I think, lock up that number one seed uh, now, whether they're in the South, the Midwest, probably not the West unless Gonzaga struggles again. But assuming Arizona beats Cal, then they lock up a number one seed. Uh, they're already going to play their first round game in Cal- San Diego. I have no doubt about that. Now, some people might ask what happens if they lose to Cal. I think they can still get a number one seed. Um, they may have to make... The, at least the finals of the Pac-12 tournament, if not win the Pac-12 tournament. But I think if they beat Cal this weekend, it doesn't matter what they do in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, we have seen repeatedly the NCAA selection committee, and each one is different, not put a huge emphasis on uh, conference tournaments, especially for Power 5 programs. Um, we have seen, unless a team makes kind of an improbable run that was on the bubble or a bubble team loses early. But for the for the big dogs, they generally go, I think the committee goes on that weekend, with their top three or four seeds already sort of mapped out. And then they can just, you know, move you maybe one or two spots on the S-curve. Um, but I would be shocked if Arizona, you know, again, beats Cal if they're not that one seed. If they don't beat Cal again, I think, I think they probably only need one, maybe two wins. Uh, Cal would be a bad loss in the eyes of the uh, NCAA committee. And right now, Arizona doesn't have a bad loss. Colorado is obviously not a great loss, but I think they're a team that is sort of flirting with the bubble. Um, and the other two losses are, are fairly good losses uh, to Tennessee and UCLA. You have to remember the a true road loss is not as bad. So, again, losing to Cal at home would be bad, but not damning. Uh, the Wildcats were not at their best against Stanford, but again, played well enough. Uh, after struggling early with their shooting, they uh, ended up shooting about 51%. 
Conversely, Stanford was on fire early, at one point shooting uh, upwards of, of 57% uh, early in the second half. They came back down to earth, uh, shooting just 47%. Where they really came back down to earth was shooting from three-point range. At one point, they were, I think, 8 of 11. They finished 9 of 19, which is still not a bad number when you can shoot 47% from behind the arc. That's a pretty good night. Uh, the one thing Arizona did is they made some adjustments. In the first half, uh, Mike uh, O'Connell, I think, hit four of five three-pointers. Um, he was coming off screens. He was uh, really doing a nice job uh, getting open. Uh, and, and credit Stanford. They did great jobs with the screen game to get him open looks. Uh, in the second half, first of all, he couldn't get a look. I think he only took one three-point shot, maybe two three-point shots. Uh, missed them both. Did not score in the second half. He had 16 in the first half. Did not score uh, in the second half. And that was significant. Where I didn't like what Arizona did. Now, early on, they used Kirk Kreese on him. Later, they did switch it up a little. Uh, but even when they didn't have Kreese on him, they were able to get the switches they wanted. That's one thing Stanford did very well was force Arizona to switch off screens and get the looks that they wanted. Conversely, Arizona tried, and they really tried to force the ball inside. Uh, made a series of, of bad uh, passes inside. And even when they were good passes, the big men, especially Tabellas, had trouble hanging on to them. Uh, they really kind of ignored the outside shot for a while. And then when they finally started shooting from the outside, they weren't very successful, just 5 of 16 but a lot rattled in and out. Um, so they got good looks. They just couldn't hit them. Eventually, though, you know, they, they forced 10 steals. Uh, even though the passes to the inside were bad, they only had 10 total turnovers. Um, and Arizona used the transition game and, frankly, used two big three-pointers midway through the second half by Justin Kyer to really spark uh, the team. But at the end of the day, it was Roy Ben Matherin who, again, led the way down the stretch. He was 8 for 14, 24 points, added 5 rebounds, uh, 4 assists. Carissa had 7 assists. Uh, Coloco had the double-double with 21 points, 10 rebounds. Again, they weren't great on the offensive glass. Uh, they only Arizona only had 4 offensive rebounds compared to the 10 that Stanford got. But at the end of the day, Stanford just didn't have the horses to keep up with Arizona, which is pretty typical. Really, to me, the only big difference between this game and a lot of games we've seen with Arizona is the, the big runs came in the second half. Um, usually, Arizona can kind of put some of these games away before the half, but they haven't always. Um, but a lot of people, especially I was at the arena, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, were really pressing as a fan base. And it's like we've seen this before. We've seen this under Sean Miller. We've seen this under Lute Olson. Second half runs blow the games open a lot of times, and... Uh, you know, now Stanford drops to uh, 15 and 14 in conference or in overall 8 and 11 in conference. And uh, uh, now are fighting with the, their uh, Pac-12 tournament and their game against ASU this weekend to finish over 500. And you kind of start wondering about the future of this program as well as they have really scuffled uh, for the most part the last few years. Here's what we do know. Arizona will play uh, the winner of the 8-9 game in the Pac-12 tournament. Ironically enough, uh, it'll probably be or could be uh, ASU or Stanford. Right now, they're 8th and 9th. That being said, there's a very good chance that uh, you know that does flop a little bit. 
if uh, ASU wins this weekend, Washington loses, it gets into some tiebreaker things. Washington State could also fall into that place. But Arizona almost guaranteed to be playing some combination of the Washington schools, ASU, or Stanford, which bodes pretty well for, for Arizona advancing, obviously, to the second round. Then it gets a lot more interesting because you could be looking at uh, either an Oregon or a Colorado, uh, one team that has beaten Arizona, one team that has given Arizona all they can handle. Uh, it also looks like Arizona, for those of you having to make me make time off work, uh, Arizona will probably play at 12 p.m. noon Pacific time on Thursday, March 10th. So just keep that in mind. The Arizona women have already started and been bounced from the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, Arizona suffering a, a pretty uh, discouraging loss, frankly, uh, to Colorado. Arizona played very tough, played very hard, but offensively just were out of sorts the entire game, uh, falling uh, late to a good but not great Colorado team. Now, that thing said, Colorado is probably an NCAA tournament team. Arizona is obviously a NCAA tournament team. The Buffaloes are 22-7 and on the season. Uh, Arizona now 20-7. and I think uh, Colorado is considered about a top 30 team when it comes to the rankings, like the computer rankings and things of that nature. Uh, Arizona obviously missing Kate Reese. Uh, she's obviously Arizona's not only Arizona's best player, but uh, uh, really their best offensive player as well. Uh, without her, they struggled. Only Lauren Ware, who normally is not a big scorer, was in double figures. She had 15 points. Uh, this was Arizona shooting just 25% from the field. You heard that right. 25% from the field. They were 2 of 24 from behind the arc. They committed 15 turnovers and only lost by 2 points. Arizona actually had a chance to tie or take the lead in the final play of the game. Oddly enough, uh, Arizona inbounded to Shayna Pellington, who took a decent look at a three but missed wildly. They also had some trouble with Coy Love. Coy Love missed a bunch of easy shots down low late in the game. Uh, and, and the big thing is they just couldn't get Sam Thomas going. Thomas just one of eight from the field. All eight shots from three-point range. Um... Arizona getting beat uh, fairly bad on the boards, although both teams uh, combined for 26 offensive rebounds. They had kept Arizona in the game. Frankly, their defense, uh, they forced 21 Colorado turnovers. Now, what does this mean for Arizona? Arizona entered the day kind of ranked somewhere in that 13 to 16 range by the computers, also by the uh, polls. And the question becomes now, can they hang on? Can they host? I think they have two things working in their favor. Uh, first and foremost, the committee does take injuries into account. So Arizona can say, look, we're without Kate Reese. We lost two of three games without her. Now what they're going to have to kind of prove, uh, or the committee's going to have to believe, is that Reese will be back in a timely fashion. And that's a big concern whether she can even be back for the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Uh, secondly, Arizona is going to sell tickets. Arizona wants these games at home. They want to play those games, and I would expect Arizona to get a good long look because, 
frankly, they draw eight, 9,000 people. So I think Arizona still has a very good chance at hosting. You would have felt a lot better with them uh, picking up at least one game, if not two, in the in the uh, Pac-12 tournament. I think the thing that is most disappointing now is if they can't get Reese back, this team just shows they're probably dead in the water. They just don't have, A, they don't have enough offense overall, but B, when Reese opens things up for other players. So when everyone has to move up a slot in the pecking order, and as you can look, where is a player who I think averages about 20 minutes? She played 35. You know, you look at uh, someone like, you know, Love has to pick up a few extra minutes here. There's more pressure suddenly on Chavez to shoot. Um, as, you know, she's got a good stroke, uh, but she's a player who takes like two a game. Uh, she was 0 for 4. So it's that trickle-down effect where you have players who, again, have to play different roles. Suddenly, Pellington has to look for her shot more, or you have to f- force it to wear, or Thomas has to take some contested threes. If you get Reese back in, again, I think Arizona can make a pretty significant run. Now, they're going to be hard-pressed to be a team that can go as far as they did last year. You don't have that first-team All-American Player of the Year type candidate uh, like they did last year, but Reese makes this a very, very different uh, and, frankly, exciting team, so you hope that they can get her back. Spring football started and then stopped. Uh, spring football opened uh, on Wednesday uh, for one day, and then they take almost two weeks off, and then we'll pick up again after spring break. Frankly, I don't understand this kind of scheduling. I don't understand. I could understand if you got one or two, three, I mean, you know, practices in but just one that doesn't make a ton of sense I understand maybe the coaches want to get a bunch of these newcomers on film and then be able to break down the film but it seems again that one practice on film is not really enough there may have also been something where they just had to try to slot this practice in somewhere to get it in before the spring game because I think the Pac-12 network kind of dictates when the spring game is going to be uh, but frankly, you almost wonder why you just don't you have a bonus practice after the spring game. Either way, uh, Coach Fish uh, has decided to do it this way. Guys, for the most part, you know, it's hard to really get a gauge from one practice. I, I will readily admit I was not there. I've heard the quarterbacks looked okay. I heard T-Mac looked fantastic. Uh, Jonah Coleman's a beast. Listed at 5'8'2-something. I'm reminded of... Another diminutive running back who who was kind of a powerhouse, and that was Warwick Dunn. And Warwick Dunn, and granted, this was the, the 90s when sizes were a little different. He was just about 5'8", 185, and he was a guy who could, could run between the tackles at times. Coleman being about 220, 215, I mean, that's just a big, strong kid. And, you know, I know a lot of people worry about durability of shorter backs. You, if you've listened to this podcast enough, you know I find that to be a uh, uh, an annoyance. But at 220, if that's all muscle, that, that kid's not getting hurt any different uh, than a 5'11", 200-pound running back, if I'd say he's probably even more durable. Uh, a lot of injuries, a lot of linemen out. Uh, Arizona apparently looks like they may be trying to add another uh, lineman, Brian Green, who was the center at Washington State. Here's a guy who had a really good, uh, I think, year two years ago. Struggled a bit last year, but he's a guy who's comfortable with the quarterback, Jaden DeLara. And frankly, with some of the injury issues and with a few pieces they were trying to add falling through at the last minute, uh, could be an interesting pickup through the 
uh, transfer market. But we'll know a lot more. Uh, we'll do some more uh, preview podcasts heading into the bulk of spring f- drills. Hopefully get out some practices and, and figure some stuff out and, and see what we can see uh, from this Arizona football team. So last night, took my daughter to the game. Thanks to the listener, Thomas Henry, for the tickets. Uh, she's been to a couple red-blue games, but this was her first U of A game, basketball game, regular season. And she, and she frankly, she loved it. Uh, we got to the stadium. She was hungry. We picked up some nachos and a soda and then settled in. To her credit, uh, she was fairly invested in the, in the game. She doesn't watch a ton of basketball or sports. Uh, she plays sports. Uh, she didn't ask to go get a lot of uh, snacks. After we got the nachos, she was fine. Her only bathroom break was, was about 10 minutes left in the second half, so we didn't have to get up and get down. She liked standing and cheering. She liked the breakaway dunks. Maybe the only two things we that, that turned her off were our neighbors to either side. To the right of us, as we got there, there were... Our half a row was empty, so we actually sat one seat over from where we were supposed to be to give us a little room, and there were three college-age kids in front of us, and one guy spent the entire game filming or or FaceTiming with his girlfriend. Shout-out to Jules. Shout-out to Jules, uh, because we got to hear a lot of their conversations. He seemed to be watching the game, but also, like, again, filming the game, filming the crowd, taking Pamarana shots. Then, with about eight minutes left in the first half, the people who those seats belonged to showed up, so that they moved next to us. And suddenly, big tall guy with the camera was, was next to me, and now I could hear his whole conversation. Apparently, he is from Tucson, but goes to college elsewhere. Uh, he had played against uh, Sam Beskin who plays for Stanford, and according to him, telling his girlfriend, he wrecked him in high school. But of the two hours of the game, he probably spent an hour and a half on the phone. There was a lot of F Colorado, F Stanford, uh, a lot of videos, a lot of pictures. He'd hang up with her because he had to watch the game, then turn it on, then tell her. It got very tiring. At one point, he was... And he may have been calling other people because he was flipping her off. My daughter actually flipped the phone off, too. I wasn't real proud of that moment. Um, but it became exhausting. And at the end of the game, the game's over. You know, he finally didn't call her the final three minutes of the game. And I said, hey, tell Jules hi for us. And he's like, what? I'm like, no, tell Jules hi for us. I mean, we heard your whole conversation all night long. And he laughed. And he's like, yeah, that's my girl back in college. And I said, oh, we know. We could, we could hear as annoying as that was, and again, it didn't really affect the game a whole lot. Uh, he was so tall that when he was filming his Pamarana shots, he went right over my head. Uh, he was probably about a foot taller than me. He's probably six six. I'm, you know, obviously only about five six. To the right of me was Richard. If you were listening to Richard, and maybe you heard him if you were anywhere in McHale, you would think Arizona was a bubble team fighting for their tournament lives last night. Not a 25-26 win team with only three losses and a one seed all but sewn up. He lost his mind on every possession. He thought everything this team did was awful. Make a pass to the inside. Why aren't you shooting threes? Take a three. Why are you taking threes? Every shot Stanford put up, he would say two or three. He was right in the first half, actually. Uh, But... According to Richard, who said, God Almighty, all night long. This guy yelled the whole time. 
any f foul call either way, we're getting ref ball, ref ball. He apparently doesn't understand that Stanford set screens to try to free up their shooters. Uh, everything was uh, Kirk Reese's fault. He doesn't understand the help defense because there were several times where Christian Coloco would come to try to either help or leave the help to then block the shot of a guy who wasn't his and got called soft. There were no fouls on Arizona. Every foul. Now, again, I thought it was a fairly poorly officiated basketball game, so I will agree with him that. But the guy spent the entire game complaining about Arizona. The irony was he wanted to bench Tubelis and Crease at one point, and they rattled off eight straight. Some of his arguments were valid, but again, it got tiring play after play after play. There were a couple where they were feeding uh, Coloco late in the game, and he was screaming, quit putting it in the post, and then Coloco would dunk. You know, he went, eventually he decided everything had to be a driving kick, and I don't think he was necessarily wrong on some of that, but it was exhausting. And finally, again, people in his section told him he needed to calm down, and even when Arizona went on their run, he didn't seem happy, so... Uh, I am someone who yells at the TV. I'm someone who loses his mind more so with with NFL football with the, the, my Chiefs than than I do with college sports. Uh, but I can sympathize and empathize with getting angry, but not the whole game. And it really actually got to the point where it made the experience for me far less enjoyable, and almost thought about moving to the upper deck just. To get away with it. My daughter didn't seem to mind. Uh, she learned the little wildcat hand symbol. She learned the uh, the cheers. Uh, she was very curious about the cheerleaders and the band and the people dressed up and uh, how coach decided to put the players in. She loved the breakaways and wanted to know why we can't have more of those. She said that's a very good play. But overall, uh, she enjoyed her experience, uh, save for Richard and Jules's boyfriend. Hey, did you know Coach K is retiring and his last game at Cameron is this weekend? Uh, if you've tuned in ESPN at all, and Arizona's been on ESPN quite a bit, you've been hit over the head with the Coach K stuff. Now, is Coach K arguably, if not the greatest coach in college basketball history, the second best? Yes. Is it remarkable the level of success he's sustained for so long? Absolutely. Does he deserve a lot of recognition and a lot of what ESPN is planning on doing? Absolutely. But the same thing ESPN did to create the Duke fatigue that we have all shared for 20 years is what they have done with this Coach K stuff. We don't need 10 minutes of Coach K during an Arizona basketball game. We just don't. You know, do it as a read coming back from a timeout or heading into a timeout. Sure, Five minutes at halftime, maybe. But we don't need conversations during the game over and over. And I get it. You had Jay Billis here in town uh, or in L.A. over the weekend. And, and you know, he's going to talk about his former coach. But it just is getting old. And this is why people hate Duke. It's because ESPN got in bed with Duke and became the Duke PR agency. Especially Dick Vitale, but not just. And while Duke is the best basketball program of the last 20-plus years. There is no doubt about it. It's the slobbering over Duke. 
I mean, to listen to the ESPN announcers back in the day, these guys are all altar boys who rescue kittens on weekends, and that Duke just has a different quality of human. There was one time they said Duke has just a different quality of human being than, and some of it I think is, is frankly a little bit racist. Yeah, you get a lot of white guys at Duke, and, and so, so they're good guys. They're smart guys. They're they're just like everyone else. Their academics are not as stringent for their athletes. In fact. Ironically enough, ESPN did a story where they asked the uh, admissions office what the standards were for Duke basketball players, and they said, we don't know. They go through Coach K. You know, they've had their share of controversies. They've gotten swept under the rug, whether it's Lance Stevenson running a uh, jewelry store with uh, loaned money uh, from his dorm room, whether it's uh, the Corey Maggette shoe stuff, whether it's the Zion Williamson stuff, whether it's the Bagley stuff the allegations against them that have gone relatively underreported. But again, it's just the over and over that we have to hear how great Duke is. And again, they are great. But to me, the only equivalent is the SEC and football. But even then, I don't feel like we get hit over the head with Alabama, who again is remarkable, nearly like we do Duke in an individual basis. And to do it again this weekend... Makes you not want to tune in. Coach K deserves all the respect. What he did in the college basketball, what he has done with the Olympic program, internationally, the guys he's churned out. But it's not like, yeah, the, 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 all the same. You know, there was the great line a few years ago where everyone was talking about J.J. Redick being the greatest college basketball shooter, three-point shooter. And he needed to make something like 100 in a row with Salim missing 100 in a row to equal Salim's career total. I mean, it's just it's the hyperbole, I think, and the fatigue with Duke basketball when there's been, you know, we don't get that with Carolina, I don't feel, even though Carolina's a spectacular program. We didn't, we don't get that with Kentucky. And again, Kentucky's not as huggable or likable as ESPN thinks Duke is. But I think a lot of us respect kind of that Kentucky is so brazen for what they are. They're a basketball factory like Duke. Duke just pretends to be something they're not. And that's all we're going to hear now for the weekend. So unfortunately, uh, yes, I'm a hater, as the kids would say, uh, but I'm rooting against Duke early in the NCAA tournament just so we can quit talking about them. But hey, we're going to be talking about these Wildcats. We're going to be maybe a little worried about the women getting a home game. We're going to be talking about where Arizona is going to play if they make it to the second weekend. Is it going to be Chicago? Is it going to be San Antonio? Heck, could it be the West Coast if Gonzaga falters? Uh, We'll find out a lot more over the next few days. But until then, to the Wildcat basketball teams, bear down. (laughs) 